Welcome once again to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast. I'm here today with intern Armin, better stated Dr. Armin, philosophy professor at Tennessee State and working in uh, adult discipleship adult groups on the Brentwood campus. So excited to have you in today, Armin. Thank you. We're going to talk about being mindful of the lost and searching in the context of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. So just before we get going on the text for today, I want to remind everyone, right now at least, what my intentions are in doing this podcast. One, it is a great way, I think, to encourage you and to continue to build relationship with you, uh, particularly those of you at other campuses that I don't get to interface with. I'm available to you, and Armin now is available to you, as well as your yep. Arm Campus Discipleship Minister. But we love having these conversations about teaching and shepherding our people, about leading them well, about Bible, theology, philosophy, whatever else. So this is a fun way where we can do that on an ongoing basis, even though we can't interface as much as maybe we'd like. Second is our desire is for our group leaders to be great shepherds and stewards over their people. And that means that we need to be spending sufficient time praying over and thinking about the individuals in our groups. One advantages of life groups is just think about your campus pastor, uh, whoever it is for you, and how many people walk into their worship service on a Sunday morning. They can't know each person individually. They can't give specific application to each person individually. In many of our life groups, we can do that. We, we know them by name. We call them by name. We can challenge and provoke them to biblical obedience and application by name. So with that said, I, I want to help you as much as I can spend a lot of your time praying over the individuals in your group, thinking about specific by name application in obedience for whatever they're struggling with or whatever's going well in their life. Um, either one can trip us up if we're not careful to keep it grounded in the person and work of Christ. So hopefully me and Armin and whoever else pops in on these things can do some of the heavy lifting for you. So if you're spending 10 hours a week um, prepping to teach your group, I don't want to tell you what to do with your life, but if you desire to spend 10 and that's what you do and nine and a half of them, are spent prepping and commentaries and all the rest and very little is spent um, praying over your group and the individuals, maybe only your drive to campus or uh, the, the 30 minutes before they show up to your house for your home group. And then we want to change that. We would like to see you spend about four to five hours prepping and the rest of the time praying over your groups. Yeah. Praying and being in communion community with them and taking them out to lunch. And yeah, that's, our hope. So we pray that some of this frees you up. If there's something you need that we're not giving you that you think could be done through this podcast, then you need to email me, rebuke me. Um, I, I love restorative discipline. So tell me what I ought to be doing for you. And, and I'm willing to do it, um, you know, within reason, within reason. All right, Armin, lead us in our text here about the Lord of the harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
we went through the Sermon on the Mount in 5 through 7, um, and Christ gives his teaching. He demonstrates what his hope is for community, what his hope is for a Christian, uh, a hope yeah. that... Only... Yeah, it really gives a snapshot of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he keeps moving. Then he comes uh, to chapter 9, where he does multiple, he calls Matthew and does multiple miracles. Uh, and it's clear throughout these miracles, uh, starting at chapter 8, verse 18, Christ is motivated by compassion. Uh, he is completely the woman who has bleeding, the daughter who's passed away, the man who is healed. Uh, it is clear that our Lord is motivated by love and compassion. Um, and that's why he's acting. And then when we get to verse 35, he looks upon the multitudes and feels the same compassion upon them, but not for physical ailments like the woman who's bleeding, but spiritual ailments and sees that these individuals' eternal destiny is hell. And he's he has compassion upon them and he asks us, first and foremost, to pray for harvesters uh, because there's plenty of work to be done uh, and then calls us to be what we prayed for, to be the very things we prayed for and to go out and do the work. Um, I I have to say... If you are going to be like Christ, you have to have compassion on the lost, like Christ has compassion on the lost. It's just, it's impossible to image our Lord and think to yourself, yeah, these individuals, who cares where they're going? All right, I'm, I'm going to role play here. So Armin's my group leader. He's my life group leader. And I'm the young punk um, in the chair there sitting on the hearth of your fireplace. And I say, Armin, I, I hear you. But I don't have that. I, most people annoy me all day, every day, all week, every week. My yeah. boss, my colleagues, I listen to the news and it's all bad news. I don't have compassion for these people uh, because they all seem very worthless. How do I get it? How do I get compassion? Yeah, there's multiple things you can do to get compassion. First, pray for individuals you do not have compassion for. So pray for the workers. You have a pray, prayer list. Write down those workers who just simply annoy you. Write them down and begin to pray. And I think if you are continually praying for them, it's hard to pray for someone and not have compassion for them. I just got a glimpse of Armin's notebook, and I think my name was in that <laughs> in that list. And for the pick a country to pray for. So pick India. Pray for India, even though as it closes its borders to Christianity. Pray more and more for them. And as you pray, you will notice. Every time somebody brings up India, you're like, wait, what are you talking about? What's going on with India? And you'll see that you grow in concern and compassion for those individuals. Uh, there's other things to do. There's serve them. Simply serving those individuals. You have that coworker who you despise. He has three kids. You can tell him, hey, you know what? Me and my wife, we stay at home with our kids on Saturday. If you bring your boys over, uh, that won't be a problem for us. You can go out on a date night or something with your family. Um, I think just, just those two things uh, will encourage you to have more and more compassion for those individuals. And as you grow in compassion, it would be impossible not to care about their eternal state. Yeah, so it's not something we just close our eyes and you know focus real hard and all of a sudden we're overflowing with compassion. It's a spiritual transformation that has to happen inside of us. And a lot of it comes because what I heard while you were talking is perspective. I need to gain perspective. 
that um, all this world isn't about me, that Jesus does love me. And he demonstrated that in that while I was yet sinner, he died on my behalf in his person and his work. But this is about the kingdom of God and making much of the name of Christ. And if I hate his creatures, if I don't show compassion for his creatures, it's hard to say I love him in any appropriate way. Um, it doesn't mean we have to love in. So I guess let me say it this way, because I was going to come out wrong. Let me say it this way. Let the spirit define what that love looks like for you as you engage. What we don't have the right to do is stay on the bench and not engage and not engage in individuals because we don't we don't like them. And the spirit will do a work for us. And the same people we hate many times, will we can become compassionate for. So an example, I think that'd be Paul. Yeah. Uh, Saul of Tarsus where he was just obliterating these followers of the way for their heresy in their Judaism. And then through a radical work of Christ, he came to be the, um, the proselytizer of the Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. And going off what you're saying about creation and loving God's creation, it's also important to remember uniquely created are humans to bear the image of God. So when you despise other humans, in a sense, you are despising the very image that God has created. Sometimes you despise their sin. That has nothing to do with the image. That has to do with the fall. But if you simply don't have compassion for an individual, you are saying, I do not care that you bear the image of my Lord. Yeah. And if you're going to be like Christ, you've got to have compassion. And the one thing I'd add to your list is pray for yourself. Say, Lord, give me compassion because I ain't got it. And I don't even know that I want it. But I know you command that I have it and I need it. So, um, and do, do a great work in me. I open myself up to you doing a grand work in me. All right. So compassion, tie that into then leaders and workers of the harvest. Yeah. I, I think, um, a leader who does not have compassion is not, can maybe be a good teacher at best. He can download facts on an individual and he can show an individual how these concepts work together but he cannot lead them. You know, he cannot be follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ because you're not imitating Christ. Uh, and if you want to be in a position to lead in Christ's church, uh, you have to have compassion both for the lost and for the individuals who are in your community. So our disciple making amongst, amongst the lost and searching then is an expression of our compassion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So praying for our lost neighbors, um, whether they know it or not, inviting our, our lost and searching neighbors into our homes. All of this is compassion because we do see the physical here in verse 35 is that Jesus was healing every disease and every sickness. And hopefully your guys' radar is up and you hear um, Matthew 4.23 in this is that Jesus was still, this is what he did right after he called the disciples in 4.19, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers for people. And then 4.23 is the same as 9.35, which says Jesus is continuing to go to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Preach, teach, minister, or heal if you, if you got that gift or the Spirit chooses to use that gift uh, through you. But then we, we are shifting because we're talking about sending out people for the broader kingdom. So we don't want to deny the present tense release but we don't want to downplay the eschatological remember that just means end times the, um, the eschatological hope that we have uh, that's compassion is that he's redeeming us for this eschatological reality of communion with the godhead yeah in revelation 
it is clear that every tongue, every language will worship Christ, the risen Lamb. Uh, and if you have that thought in front of you, you can think to yourself, Christ is using me uh, wherever I am to make that point in history come to fruition. Um, and I think that is incredibly motivating to think there is this incredible scene that all history is moving towards. The risen lamb, all types of humans, that means every ethnic group, is worshiping him. And God has chosen to make that happen through Christians, through us. Those are some both practical tips about the prayer, about the serving others, uh, and some good conceptual stuff. So now let's get concrete again. And there's a few words in this text that I truly, truly love. Um, certainly synagogue, here it obviously means the uh, gathering place. It seems to me that that's what the building is, is what's in the in mind and view here. But the term synagogue, again, just means gathering. And we really got to start thinking about our congregations as gatherings, our life groups as gatherings. They're all synagogues. And we know that God's presence is following us there as it is everywhere. I really like the words. This sounds bad. It sounds macabre, but I like the words distressed and dejected here. <laughs> it's a little bit troubling that I like those. But the word translated distressed, skulo, can mean trouble, bothered, annoyed, harassed would be a really great translation of that. So think of it in that way. When Jesus sees the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were harassed. Harassed by what? Harassed by the spirit of this age harassed by their enemy, Satan, and harassed by their own uh, short-sightedness and understanding him as Messiah and what they were created for, relationship with Christ. Uh, the other term there, dejected, repto, and I'll get rebuked by some of you Greek scholars, but that's as close as I can get to it, uh, means to be thrown down, to be let down, uh, to put into place. So really, a, a kind of more visceral interpretation of that would be Jesus felt compassion for these crowds because they were being harassed and that they were thrown down like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know that I always look at my neighbors that way. I mean, I got some lost and searching neighbors here and there. Um, I, I see people in my grocery store when I wander around. I don't know that I think of them, the ones that I know at least, uh, who, who, are, who are unbelievers, who are lost and searching. I don't know that I think of them as harassed. Sometimes I think they harass me. That's what I get annoyed about. But they're harassed, and they've been thrown down. And I'm called to be their shepherd, to help them back yeah. up. Yeah, and imaging the great shepherd who is Christ, who was promised in Ezekiel, right? So that they were, once were horrible shepherds, but God promises Ezekiel he will send a great shepherd, the son of David, uh, who would be an excellent shepherd. So again, you image Christ when you do that. Um, you have compassion. You're this great shepherd. And it's clear. And, you know, Matthew sets that up because son of David, have mercy on me, heal me. And then here he images it again with the shepherd, the promised shepherd that we all have expected. And your curriculum on page seven of your leader's guide and this is referencing Leon Morris, who apparently yeah, Armin's a huge good. fan of here. <laughs> yeah. We're referencing Leon, uh, Leon Morris. And then it goes into Psalm 23. But even without predators, they are in trouble. This is the sheep if they have no shepherd, for they are not good foragers. They need a shepherd to lead them into green pastures. And he references um, Psalm 23 here. 
Sheep without a shepherd points to people who are in great danger without the resources to escape from it. Yeah. They're harassed and they're thrown down. Yeah, and in a sense, going back to compassion, you're meant to have compassion on such a person in that state because you're not in that state. You have a great shepherd who who knows every need that you have and who looks after you, but these individuals don't. And your ultimate concern is, hey, sheepless shepherd, I know a great shepherd. Come be part of my flock uh, and avoid all these dangers. Because we once were in yeah. that state, and we got to remember that. We always got to remember where we came from and just how much sin Christ pulled us out of. All right, one of my favorite words in Greek, ekbalo, that's the word there, send out. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That term ekbalo is the same as in Mark 1 when Jesus is cast out for his temptation, sent out to the desert. And the uh, text interprets it there, driven. He was driven out, at least in the ESV. Uh, And I really like that translation of ekbalo. It means like to throw out, to like sling it like a baseball or a football or something. So think about verse 38 this way. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to drive out workers into his harvest. Are you praying for the Lord to drive out your life group members into the harvest to do the great work of disciple making where they live, work and play? Uh, That's a different way to think about it. Uh, We're not just sending them out on some strange assignment. We as group leaders ought to be teaching and leading in such a way that they are driven away from us to do the great work of kingdom, kingdom expansion. All right. I want to role play again on verse 38 here. The text, I'm just taking the text at face value. Here I am. I'm sitting on your fireplace again. And I say, teacher, rabbi, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You're trying to drive me out of your group. But all this text asked me to do is pray for people to be driven out. Not necessarily myself. Right? Yeah. I. Yeah. Uh, the the text text begs the question of why are you not doing this? If the workers are few, why are you not harvesting? It's like having a a tractor and saying, oh, all I have to do is pray and not do the work where clearly Christ is asking you to pray for more workers and is begging the question of why are you yourself not doing this work if the workers are few? And what's he doing chapter 10 right after this? He sends them out. Yeah, he immediately sends the people he's preaching to. So uh, we're called, I mean, Matthew 28 has to be our driving force. It's our driving force of this church for sure in terms of our disciple-making strategy about how we want to carry out this five-year vision of 10,000 disciples-making disciples relationships, 500,000 gospel conversations, and 100 healthy congregations. Because we want to do it by being disciples of Jesus who are making disciples with Jesus. That's where it starts. That's what we're called to do is make disciples. And so this text doesn't trump that text that Jesus leaves his uh, his apostles with, his 11 plus that will be filled in later uh, with when he ascends. Yeah, we can't we can't rationalize that to staying on the bench, to staying on the sideline. We're not spectators. So like many of you know, I was on the team that helped come up with our disciple making strategy. And the title of this sermon is one of those arrows. If you look at some of you at your campuses have the little cards with a diagram on one side, spiritual challenge questions on the back. I love those spiritual challenge questions. Use those in your daily devotions. Uh, But on the diagram, the arrow off to the left says we're mindful of the lost and searching. And I was a big 
proponent of the word mindful. And so it may help you to know why I push for that term. Uh, the more radical term in some ways would be inviting the lost and searching. And that's certainly what we want to do. But I, I want to be sensitive to that Jesus did not shotgun this is that in Luke six, he came out of the mountain. He came off the mountain after having prayed and withdrawn, prayed and withdrawn, having withdrawn and prayed. He comes down off the mountain and out of the multitudes of people that are following him, he chooses his 12 apostles. Yeah. I want that laser focus to be in our people. So we as group leaders have to help them with that. We don't want to just randomly call a bunch of people. We want to be praying about, we want to withdraw and pray about who we're called to within the context of our daily rhythms of life, where we live, work, and play. Who should I be making a disciple of? So I, I wanted to get the laser focus and not just shotgun it, inviting any old body that you see. On the other hand, the other term was aware of. I thought that term was too passive that I can be aware of something and not act on it. So where is this obligation coming from where there's an active component of my thinking about, my considering, my praying over? So that's why I landed on mindful. It's not because it's a word that's in vogue now, because unfortunately it is in a lot of (laughs) unbiblical ways. Nevertheless, mindful has an active component of thinking about the lost and searching, and I think can maintain the active principle of inviting them with you. But I wanted that laser focus and I wanted something not totally passive. So again, one more thing for you to call and rebuke me on. (laughs) All right, Armin, you're a professor of philosophy and teach young, inquisitive, developing, inspiring minds of the next generation. What would you teach them? How would you teach them out of this text? Yeah, uh, I guess I would hit on the things that we've already talked about a lot. So I would hit on um, Christ's compassion towards the lost. Uh, I would hit on that your master has compassion on these individuals. And if you're his servant, you will ultimately image your master and his concerns. Uh, You would be concerned with what he's concerned with. So if your master is concerned with the lost, you should be concerned with the lost. Um, I would just demonstrate that, try to demonstrate that in my own person, you know, uh, as a leader. Uh, I guess you can't do that in one week, though. You got to do that over the over the months. Um, and I think it's important for a believer to know their place in the story of history. Uh, to know that uh, this life's a vapor, but if you are following Christ and doing what Christ has commanded you, it can have eternal value. And one of those things that Christ has commanded to you to do is share with the lost, have compassion with the lost. And that has eternal value rather than paychecks and um, anything else you do. Those things will fade away in the new heavens and the new earth. Unless you're an, unless you're an annihilationist, we're all immortals. Yeah. We're all immortal. The question is, what state is that immortality going to be lived out in? Yeah. And that ought to drive our compassion that we want these sheep without shepherds to be in a state of communion and harmony with the triune Godhead. What are a couple application steps that you would drive your students out on? Yeah, I think going off what you're saying. So now there's two, uh, two motivating factors. A, Christ, who is your Lord, has motivated you, has told you to do, and you do what your Lord has told you. B, these individuals have an eternal state. Only... Uh, incredibly selfish or a monster would look at that and go, I don't care where you're spending eternity. What I care about 
is getting my these papers out the door. I just it's just impossible to think that way. Uh, what was your question? What are you going to leave them with? So now you've motivated them. Now you compelled them. Now they all feel guilty and ashamed <laughs> yeah. of their lack of evangelism. How are you going to encourage them to do something to make life yeah. change? I would I would encourage them to take baby steps. Um, play the long game. Yeah, play the long game. Uh, a, uh, if an individual has never done that before, it's a big ask for him to be like, okay, I've never shared my faith before. Let me just start doing that all the time. So that's really hard. But you can move them towards that step. So A, uh, step one could be taking a public stand for Christ. Uh, and that could be as simple as reading your Bible in public or praying in public. Uh, just taking that public stand, I am with Christ. B, looking for an opportunities in conversations where an individual brings up uh, their religious beliefs to take a stand and say, oh, well, I believe in Christ and the scriptures. Uh, and then finally getting to the point where they can share their testimony or share the gospel of Christ. Um, That's great. Yeah. And the easiest first step is where we started today. Begin praying for opportunities yeah. and open yourself up to them. Many of us may be afraid to go out and engage someone because we fear we don't have the answers. Now, we know we don't need them all. We know we can't have them all. And yet, that's a hindrance to so many of our people. But one thing everybody can do is pray for opportunities. Yeah. Open yourself up and pray for those opportunities. Yeah, and if you're praying for the losses Christ has commanded in this text and you go out there and you're talking with someone and you're like, oh, I hope someone saves this individual. I hope somebody shares the gospel with this individual when you yourself have the ability. Yeah. And when in doubt, call Armin. He'll go with you. Yeah, I will. You got nothing else to do. <laughs> All right, good. It's going to be a good week. We want to remain mindful of the lost and searching. Battle the drift and natural tendency of every group I've ever known to become insular. Uh, we always want to be groups that are mindful of the lost and searching. We're naturally going to minister to those within our community who are hurting once we hear their stories. We cannot forget about those who are harassed and thrown down that aren't a part of our community yet. Keep that bright front and center with all your people.